This morning, we have the privilege of hearing God's word presented by Pastor Steve Conway. He comes to us from the University of Michigan, where he is the pastor of the Campus Hope Church. Hope stands for Helping Others Prepare for Eternity. And today, as he helps us prepare for eternity, I would like to challenge each one of you to do more than just sit in your seats and listen, but that you would let it change your heart, let it change your lives, and then go out and act on that. So after our opening prayer, I would like to introduce to you Pastor Steve Conway. Good morning. Please kneel with me as we pray. Our most loving Heavenly Father, We thank you for the privilege we have had for being at GYC this year. We thank you for the Spirit's presence that has been with us. And this morning we want to uplift our speaker, Pastor Steve Conway, in a very special way to you. We pray that as he speaks to us for the last time this week at GYC, that you would give him an extra measure of your spirit and that we would receive the greatest blessing yet thus far. And I pray that as we finish up GYC today, that we would take the spirit that has been with us this week back to our home churches, and that we would carry this light to the, to the world around us. And I also want to lift up our friend Alistair Huang as he's in the hospital. Please continue to bring your healing touch to his body. And I pray that each one of us here would be part of your closing work that would rightly represent your character to this world so that Jesus may come soon. I pray all of of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Say good morning. It's good to uh, see so many of you here this morning. Um, after we were encouraged uh, of our need to pray, it's my assumption that several of you uh, did just that. I know I was with a group of young people last night who uh, wanted to get together and pray. It's good when the Lord lays a burden on our hearts um, for us to, to move immediately when he lays that burden on our hearts. And so uh, we had the privilege of sharing some prayer time together. The tracks came from every which direction, from near and far, from a variety of different countries, all leading to the same place. Human beings were stuffed into train cars, literally like animals, not knowing where they were headed, not knowing why they were being taken there, yet they were on their way. And many of them, when they arrived, were hurried out of those train cars and their possessions were stripped from them immediately and they were, uh, they were forced to line up Women over here and men over here and children over here. Families were torn apart and separated. And then they were made to enter into a place 
that even in their wildest imaginations, they would never have dreamed that they would have ever been. It is very interesting. I believe very, very significant that when these men, women, and children came off of these train cars in front of one of the larger concentration camps in Europe called Auschwitz, the gate that they marched through read Arbeit macht frei. Work makes free. Work makes free. It is very significant because in fact, the work that they were preparing to embark upon was not a work that was going to bring about freedom, but it was in fact a work that would lead to their deaths. They would literally be worked down to the very bones. And then they would be burned like trash. This was all part of a sinister master plan to get rid of a particular group of people. You know, when war is going on, the most fearful thing in a time of war is for sympathizers with your enemies to dwell in your territory. And so because these evil men believed that this particular group of people, and we're talking about Jews who are there in Europe, because the Nazis believed that the Jewish race were in fact their enemies, they decided to destroy them, to exterminate them systematically. But they played mind games with them first. It wasn't, it wasn't just simple enough to go and shoot them. No, we want to work every bit of life out of you. And I believe that this mirrored a much larger plan that was taking place not in an earthly battle only, but in a galactic battle. The war between Christ and Satan. And there are people of God, sympathizers with Jesus Christ who dwell in Satan's territory. And since we are protected, praise God, we are protected by angels that excel in strength. And since we are protected because we live by the grace of God in harmony with God's will and Satan cannot immediately snuff us out. He too seeks to play mind games with us. Loading us into a, a boxcar of an experience which leads us to a place that is, that is there for no other reason but to destroy us. And all the while, he's nicely ushering us in through the gates and telling us work makes free. Work makes free. Work makes free. There are many stations that we can find to work at in this particular camp. One of the stations is the Let Me Impress God station. At this station, 
It is believed that I can give God sufficient reasons to love me more. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, one of my favorite texts in the entire Bible, Romans chapter 5 verse 8, we read, But God commendeth his love toward me, in that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Notice, I'm personalizing it. Christ died for me while I was yet in my sins, while I was still enjoying what I was doing. Let me rephrase it. When I was at my worst, Christ demonstrated his love for me. When I could go no lower, Jesus demonstrated his love for me. And it's as if that was not enough. Oh, I love Romans chapter 5. <laughs> but God demonstrated or commended his love toward me and that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Verse 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. If it didn't convince you that God loves you, if the fact that Christ died for you when you were at your lowest and when you were at your worst, if that didn't change your mind, if Christ did that for you when you were in that condition, how much more will he do for you once you become a member of his family? When we were enemies, the Bible says, we were reconciled to God by the death of Jesus Christ. And now that we're members of the family, how much more? Will God take care of us? There's another station though. This is the station that says, I believe God, but. You know, we need to stop focusing on buts. I believe God, but. That is only a philosophical proposition. It's not really practical. Is belief in God practical? Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> How many of you in here have a job? Let me see your hands. Okay. Praise the Lord. Amen. How many of you in here go to school? Let me see your hands. Okay. So every one of us here, almost every one of us, either has a job or goes to school. Why do you go to work? Why do you go to work? I love asking this question. <laughs> I love to ask people, why do you go to work? And, and, and the answer that I hear normally is, well, the Bible says that if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. We go to work in order to provide for I'm the man of the house and I'm going to provide, you know, for my family. And, you know, and I'm working because, you know, I am going to give to the cause of God and I'm working because of this, that and the other. And I will also add on the tail of that. Why do you go to school? Well, I'm going to school because I'm going to be educated. I'm going to become knowledgeable. I'm going to become a a a a a, a good and and a good and 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 a profitable member of society. That's why I work. That's why I go to school. 
<laughs> but in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, do you know where I'm going with that? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, a very familiar passage of scripture, the Bible says, as a matter of fact, Jesus is speaking here, but seek ye first, but seek ye first, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all these things, all these things shall be added unto you. If you read the context in which Jesus is speaking, he's saying, look, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about how you're going to clothe yourselves. Don't worry about a place of shelter. I'm going to take care of you. Even the animals who are out there in the fields, don't worry about those things because I provide for them. And yet here we are, many of us, and we're showing up and punching a clock in some cases. And we're going to work, not realizing why we're even there. And we're going to school and sitting in a class and we're taking notes meticulously. Again, not even realizing why we are there. God, the Bible says, gives us strength to get wealth. We forget that sometimes. Think we woke ourselves up in the morning. Think we made it to work safely all by ourselves. Think that no one went crazy on our jobs. You know that happens, right? No one just flipped out and brought a gun to work and started to shoot up your place of employment. We think that just happened because, hey, that's how things are supposed to be. All the while ignoring the fact that it is God who gives us strength in order to get wealth. And it is God who preserves and protects us as we drive up and down the dangerous highways and byways. And many times we drive right by accidents and don't even pray for the people who are in the cars. And don't even think it can happen to us. Not realizing that angels who excel in strength are zipping all around our vehicles and protecting us, not recognizing that maybe one of our co-workers did flip a switch, but the angels of God made that individual stay at home that day, and through God's mercy they didn't come and take someone's life in our place of employment or in our schools. Oh, I'm here because they've got the best professors in the world and the most intelligent men on the face of this planet earth. My Bible tells me that when God came down to Solomon and asked Solomon, what do you want me to give you? Solomon says, give me wisdom that I might rule your people. And in one night, Solomon became the wisest man on the face of this planet earth that has ever walked this sod, save Jesus. We are not in school in order to get wisdom because wisdom comes from God. We are not in our places of employment in order to get wealth because wealth comes from God. You can go to the mailbox and open up an envelope and there it is. More money than you've ever made in your entire life given to you as a gift by God. Well, why are we there, Pastor Conway? We're there to do God's business. We're there to be lights. And so many of us have busied ourselves with doing God's job for him 
that we are not even aware of what God wants us to do. Faith is practical when you have the proper perspective. When you have the proper perspective. There's another workstation that says, I know that I've got to believe, but isn't there more than just belief? That's a station. (laughs) In John chapter 6, turn with me there. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, beginning with verse 28, the Bible says, Then, then, John chapter 6, verse 28, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. The people were listening to Jesus' words And they said, surely there's something that we've got to do. Teach us, tell us, what must we do? And Jesus says, this is the work that God expects from each and every one of you. The work is that you might believe on him whom God has sent. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Conway. Don't I need to be sanctified? Turn with me to Acts chapter 26. What book did I say? Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, verse 18, Paul is here recounting what Jesus said to him when he met Christ. In Acts chapter 26, verse 18, the Bible says, Jesus is speaking here to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by, what does it say? There it is. Don't I need to be sanctified? Yeah, you, you experience sanctification the same way you experience justification, through faith. This is the work of God, that you may believe on him whom God has sent. And notice at the end of verse 18, which are sanctified by faith, that is in me. But what about perfection of character? Don't we need to be perfect? Huh? When the character of Christ is fully reproduced and and that character is a perfect character. What about that, Pastor Conway? Well, turn with me in your Bibles again to the book of Hebrews. What book did I say? Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. The Bible reads, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And how are we sanctified? There it is. Our sanctification is by faith. Our perfection in Christian character is by faith. This is the work of God. That ye might believe. There's another station. It's the I'm afraid of belief station. Can you believe it? I'm afraid of belief. We have seen the idea of belief perverted. And we've allowed the word itself and the concept to be hijacked out of our Christian vocabularies. Well, there's more than just belief there. 
And any time someone talks about faith in Christ or believing in Christ, we've got to add a but to it. I told you we need to get off of buts. Well, yeah, you got to believe, but what do you mean you got to believe, but <laughs> I don't know if you all went. Actually, I didn't see many of you there. It would have been nice if you would have went, though. But, you know, God is gracious. He'll give you another opportunity uh, to make up for your mistake. If you missed out on the the biblical holiness workshop that was going on there, Pastor Philip Dunham has written a, a marvelous book called Sure Salvation or Salvation is Sure. I don't know, but Sure Salvation It's in there. And in this book and in his workshop, even he was he was talking about the thief on the cross. And, you know, we Adventists got a problem with that thief on the cross. Here he is. He expresses faith. In Jesus Christ, he sees Jesus as his savior, his only opportunity, not only for this life, but for the life to come. Was the thief saved? I mean, could he have actually been sanctified there on the cross? I mean, didn't he need to grow a Christian character and didn't he need to do this and do that? If the thief, Pastor Dunham says, had come down from the cross and lived for 30 more years and developed and grown in Christ, he would not have been more saved than he was that moment when he expressed belief in Jesus on Calvary. You don't grow in the other. What is this? Okay, I'm a little saved and I'm more saved. What, what type of foolishness is that? Get that book if you got a chance. Good book. <laughs> so we're afraid of belief. And the other reason we're afraid of belief is because because we've got a misconception. We've been listening to some of our other Christian brothers and sisters going around and talking about a type of belief that is not really belief. And we have this idea in our minds that belief is passive. Friends of God, belief is not passive. It's active. That chapter in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 Go there with me in your Bibles. We're right there, actually. Oh, isn't that nice? In Hebrews chapter 11, listen to how the Bible reads. In Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 4. By faith, Abel did what? Nah, he just sat down. He just kicked back the recliner. Asked for a glass of lemonade. No, the Bible says, by faith, Abel offered in verse 4. In verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, did what? He moved. He moved. Brothers and sisters, faith is active. You could read the entire chapter of Hebrews, chapter 11, and you will find the same thing over and over again. Faith moves. Faith is active. The thing I love about biblical faith is that biblical faith is nagging. Biblical faith reminds God of what he has promised. You know, um, my wife and I, my family, we used to live in New York. We used to live in a little spot in Orange County, New York, called Greenwood Lake. Beautiful little town. Beautiful town. And, and, and our home, we had a nice little deck. And you could look out and you could see the expanse of the lake. 
it was really beautiful, especially when it snowed or uh, because then the leaves were off of the trees and you could see more of the lake. But when we would go to church and when we go to the store, anywhere we went, we had to drive around the lake. And there were some people who lived on the lake and they owned seaplanes. So you could just take off right off of the water. And my little son, Israel, he just happens to love airplanes. I mean, anything that moves, he actually loves. Cars, motorcycles, airplanes, helicopters, space shuttles. You know, the higher it takes you or the faster it goes, the more he loves it. And so we would sit out on the porch sometimes and we would watch these seaplanes as they raised up into the sky or as they were coming in for a landing. And on one particular time, we had stopped by the store and uh, just picked up some water and, and, and maybe a, 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 pa- a bag of chips or something like that. It wasn't anything really significant. And uh, we were on our way back home and we drove by one of these seaplanes. And my son Israel says to me, he says, Daddy. And I said, yes, Israel. It's just he and I in the car. He says, Daddy, I-, I want you to do something for me. And I said, okay, what do you want me to do, son? He says, I want you to buy me an airplane. Um, Israel, yes, daddy. Uh, well, daddy, daddy, can it be red? Israel, let, let, let me finish first. Okay, yes, daddy, go ahead. Um, Israel, daddy can't actually afford an airplane. You know, we're not in that income bracket, son. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're, <laughs> we're just not there. Daddy can't afford that. And you know, my son said, yes, you can. And, uh, you know, I said to, well, Israel, no, I can't. Do you know this little guy? He's about four years old at the time. This little man argued with me for about eight minutes. He was just sure that I could purchase an airplane for him. And I'm trying to explain to him, it's just not possible. And he says, but you've got that thing in your wallet. We just came from the store and you used it to buy water and you used it to buy chips and you use it to put gas. Can't you just use that? And I said, well, that's connected to a bank account. And Israel, I mean, a son. (sighs) He wouldn't let it go. He kept nagging his dad. You know, as we got home and he got out of the car, his head was hung low. I started to think, what an example of real faith. I believe an example of biblical faith. Because for my four-year-old son, he didn't need an enormous thing in order to believe in his father's ability to do for him. All he needed was a 99-cent bottle of water and a 25-cent bag of chips. That was all the evidence he needed. And he was going to hang on to what he believed. And he was going to argue with me about my abilities and what I could do. Because in his mind, I've already seen you get things for me. I've already seen you take care of me. So this is nothing. You can do it. Yes, you can. The biblical example is found in in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, chapter 32, what book did I say? Genesis, Genesis chapter 32. And there in Genesis, chapter 32, 
In Genesis chapter 32, uh, beginning with verse 24, the Bible says, And Jacob, verse 24 of Genesis 32, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. Jacob at first begins to, to think that he's being accosted by a thief in this particular area. But as he begins to wrestle, he, he recognizes and realizes that he's not prevailing over the one whom he is wrestling with. And then this supernatural event where the angel who is Jesus touches Jacob's thigh, the hollow of his thigh, and all of a sudden his, 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 his hip bone is no longer connected to his leg bone. And he's in excruciating pain. And now he recognizes that I am wrestling not with a man, but I'm wrestling with someone who is more than simply a man. I will not let him go. And Jesus says, almost as though he's testing him, let me go. We've been at this for so long. Let me go. And you know Jesus doesn't really want to be let go of. <laughs> but he says, let me go. Let me go. It's kind of like when I wrestle with my son, I let him win. You know, when you're wrestling with Jesus, Jesus always lets you win. My little son will come and jump on me and I'll just go down to the floor as though he's that powerful. He's really not. But I want him to win every time we wrestle. And so it is with you and I when it comes to wrestling with Jesus. But Jacob refuses to let him go. He says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now, we don't know what words were being exchanged. The Bible does not tell us exactly what Jacob was saying while he was wrestling with Jesus. However, the prayer of Jacob in the preceding verses gives us an indication of the attitude that Jacob possessed as he was wrestling with Christ. In verse 9 of chapter 32. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord, which said unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all of your mercies and of all of the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he will come and smite me and the mother with children. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sands of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Did you get it or did you miss it? It was there twice. In the beginning of his prayer, Jacob says, you said. The only reason that I'm here is because you said that I should be here. He said it again at the end of his prayer. You said. You said that you would bless me. How can I be blessed when I'm in the grave? You said. So when Jacob is wrestling with Christ, I imagine this is what he's crying out. I will not let you go. I refuse to relinquish my grasp on you because you said. You said you would take care of me. You said 
that you don't forsake your people, the righteous. You said that we don't have to beg for bread. You said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added. You said that if I confessed my sins, that you will be faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You said, you said, you said that you would take care of me. That if I was willing to stand up for your Sabbath, you said. This is how we wrestle with the God who wants us to win. Reminding him of what he has said. Brothers and sisters, faith, belief is the essence of what a Christian's life is to be about. Not just belief in the chairs you're sitting in. Not just belief in a man's word, but belief in the word of God. The first morning we talked of God's love for us. We must believe that God loves us. In spite of all the circumstances surrounding us, we must believe that God loves us. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, friends of mine, sometimes I know Sometimes I know that it's hard to believe that God can love even me. When I look at myself, it's hard to believe that God can love me. But we must believe what he says. And that is that I do love you. On the second morning we came together, we talked about the forgiveness of God. We talked about the wonderful transaction that takes place in this miraculous event called forgiveness where God takes what we are and replaces it with everything that he is. We've got to believe that. We've got to believe it. I remember an evangelist was sharing a story and he said uh, that one of these men was was at his at his evangelistic meeting and and and, and this man had just accepted Jesus Christ into his life. He was a drunk. He was a drunk. So much so that it was permeating his pores. He reeked of alcohol. He didn't even have to open his mouth. You could smell him from 10 feet away. You knew what he was. But this man came to the meeting. This man heard the message, heard the, of a, the message of a crucified and risen and soon coming Savior and said, I want to be ready when Jesus comes. I believe that he forgives me and I believe that he has keeping power. And that night, after giving himself to the Lord, he was driving home on the freeway and he saw a particular exit. If you drive home, uh, you know, on the freeway from work or whatever on your way to church, you know almost each and every one of those exits. You know the good gas station. You know the one that has the lowest prices. You know where the shopping mall is. You know where the grocery store is. This man knew where the liquor store was. And as he was driving home and the headlights hit that exit sign and it said one mile to go, all of a sudden in his very mouth he could taste the alcohol. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's not alcohol for you. Maybe it's sex. 
Maybe you've given yourself to God and then all of a sudden you are reminded of the exhilarating feelings that you had when you did what you were not supposed to do. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's a whole host of things. I don't know what it is, but I'm talking about a temptation that is so very strong that you feel it in your gut and you want to do it. This man gripped his steering wheel tightly and he put this blinker on and he pulled over into the median before he hit that exit. And he got out of his vehicle and he slammed his door and he went over to the tire of his vehicle and he knelt down on the freeway and said, Lord, it's not me. It's not me. I have given myself to you. I have given all of my emotions to you. I have given this demon called alcoholism to you. I have given it to you and I refuse to accept these feelings. It's not me. Help me, Jesus. God's forgiveness is real and we have no business listening, listening to the enemy when he whispers in our ear and tells us, you want it. I don't care what they said at GYC. I want it. Yes, I made a decision, but that was only emotional. I want it now. Nobody from GYC is here. No one is going to know. Besides, you've had victory for two weeks. One more time is not going to hurt. It's not me. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. It's not me. It's not me. We talked of God's forgiveness. We talked of the power on yesterday morning of God's word. It is a living word that we can believe in. We can exercise the faith that we're talking about this morning in the living word of God. One of the most profound things that came to my attention, friends of God, is, um, is this. I was studying um, Matthew chapter 4, and you know that's the temptation, where Jesus was temptation, tempted, excuse me, in the wilderness. And as Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, and Satan comes to him, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be turned to bread. Jesus' response, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so I was interested in that, and I, I turned back, to the book of Deuteronomy and I began to read and Moses is speaking in, in the book of Deuteronomy and as he's speaking to the people of God he says something that is so very interesting he says God led you he took you by the hand and led you into the wilderness and then this caught my attention he suffered you to be hungry God allowed you to be hungry so that he might teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I scratched my head and I said, does that mean what I think it means? And so, of course, you know, I wanted to see what... Um, what the servant of the Lord had to say. So I looked in, in the book Patriarchs and Prophets and there it said that the Israelites had not really run out of food. But what they had come to is that they had come to a point where they saw the end of their provisions. 
and seeing the end of their provisions, they began to wonder how they would survive after what they had physically in front of them was gone. And so God led his people to a point in their experiences where they could see the end of all earthly help. Are you with me this morning? God did that. He led them there. Why? Because he wanted to teach them that it's not the arm of flesh that is really your help. He wanted to teach them it's not how many cans of beans you've got in your cupboard that is your help. He wanted to teach them it's not how big the number is that's in your bank account that really provides for you. He wanted to teach his people that man does not live by what he can see and what is tangible and what he has in his hands, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Where are you this morning? Are you at a point in your life where you have reached the end of your provisions? Maybe, <laughs> maybe you've got no more money for school. Maybe that's it. The cupboards are bare. There is no more money available for me to go to school. Yet I know God has called me here. God, why? And we are tempted to doubt God. Let me tell you something, friends of mine. God has led you to that point to teach you individually that you do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of his mouth. God leads us, friends, to places in our lives where we can't see how humanly possible there is a way of escape. But God leads us there and provides an opportunity for us to have faith in him. And we thought all of our challenges were because God didn't love us. We thought maybe we were outside of the will of God. No, God has brought us there to give us an opportunity to believe in him. And we're walking around, oh, God doesn't love me. Yes, he does. Oh, God, why did you allow my... Because you were dependent too much on those provisions instead of depending on me. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. But you got to believe. You got to believe, my friends. Do you believe? Do you believe? In spite of what your experience is, do you believe? In spite of what your feelings say to you, do you believe? I know that we've come here from a variety of different places, but I believe the message that God wants us to receive while we're here is the message that we must exercise faith in him. It is not in the Christian disciplines themselves that we are saved. But it is when those disciplines are entered upon through through faith. It is the prayer of faith. It is the life of faith. And then it is from faith to faith. So I believe that God has brought me here and each and every one of you 
friends of God here, to give us an opportunity to grasp what biblical faith is. Biblical faith in God's love for us. Biblical faith in God's willingness to forgive us and his willingness to impart power in our lives. Biblical faith in the living word of God. It's time for us to make an escape from the concentration camp of the enemy. It's time for us to break free from this idea that we can work our ways into the good graces of God. It's time for us to break free from these ideas that we can make God love us more by doing a lot of good stuff. It's time for us to break free from the ideal that if I do this or that just enough, then I'll really be able to experience victory. It's time for us to break free. Because my Bible tells me, these are the words of Jesus. And Jesus didn't say work makes free. But he says that if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Freedom only comes through Jesus, friends of mine. It only comes through Jesus. I'm getting ready to make an appeal. And in this appeal, what I would like to do is I would like to ask or I'm going to ask for a commitment from those of you who are here. A commitment to a radical biblical type of faith. Faith in God's love. Faith in God's forgiveness. Faith in every word. That has come from the mouth of the Lord and an experience, an experience where we give God the right to bring us to the end of our provisions. Where we give God the right to bring us to the places in our experiences where there's no water to be found and there's no bread to be found. And we must depend on him. And the reason I'm going to make this appeal is because I believe this is the type of faith. This is the only type of faith. The only type of faith that will enable us to live in the times that are fast approaching. When every earthly support will be cut off when mothers and fathers will turn on children when brothers and sisters will turn on one another when church members will sell one another out when husbands will turn on wives and wives on husbands what's going to hold you then if not the word of God. If not belief in a savior who says, I will never, never, never leave you nor forsake you. What's going to hold you then? When there's nothing under your feet, how will you march on? I've got a sneaky suspicion that each and every one of you knows where he or she is with what we've discussed today. 
you know if you really believe God loves you or you don't. You know if you really believe that you are forgivable or you don't. You know. You know. You know whether or not Satan has had you bound in his concentration camp. You know if you've been trying to earn the righteousness of Jesus by your works. You know, you know, you know. What I want to ask you for right now by the authority of Jesus Christ as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Is I want to ask you to throw yourself on the mercies of God and say, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. I simply believe enough to throw myself into your hands. That's all I can muster, Lord. I don't know what I'm going to do in the future. And I don't know what I'll do if my friends and family turn their backs on me. Lord, I simply don't know. I do know that I'm weak in faith. I do know that I question your love. I do know that I depend on people and things instead of depending on you. Maybe you've even come here depending on this conference instead of depending on the Christ of this conference. Right now, I want you to come down here and say, Lord, I want that type of faith. I want that type of faith. coming keep on coming Lord this is it this is it this is what you want for your people you don't want a people who understand more you don't want a people who do more you want a people who believe more Bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Father God in heaven, this is the very foundation of everything that we've heard at this conference. All of the wonderful seminars and workshops, all of the life-changing experiences that we've heard about at the plenary sessions. This is the foundation of it all. We must believe in you for when we do you promise us in your word that all things all things are possible we are here this morning Lord confessing our unbelief and we're thankful for that wonderful promise in desire of ages that tells us about the man who's Whose, whose son was demon possessed and Jesus says to him you don't really believe in me do you you don't really believe and this man threw himself at the feet of Jesus and said Lord I believe help thou mine unbelief 
And we are told as long as we pray this prayer, we can never, never, never be lost. Lord, don't let any of us be lost. We are here because we want this prayer to be our heart's cry. Help us, Father. You know that even though we make fun of the children of Israel, we, we look just like them. We make the same mistakes. We do the very same things in spite of the fact that we have their testimony laying right there in our faces. We have no reason not to believe in you. And today we confess it because we are told in Romans chapter 14 that whatsoever is not of faith, it is sin. We confess our unbelief, Lord, and we ask you today to take it from us. Take it from us. Free us from this satanic delusion. Free us in Jesus Christ. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Lord, I would like to ask for each and every person here that you would increase their faith. do that for us you promised you would you promised you could Lord we refuse to relinquish our hold on you until you do it for us thank you for being who you are and thank you for giving us the privilege of loving and serving you we ask all of these things <laughs> Because we believe that we have a brother in heaven who pleads his blood on our behalf. We're not worthy, but he is. And right now, up in heaven, he's pleading, Father, my blood, my blood. My blood for the unbelieving. My blood for those who are weak in faith. My blood, my blood. It's in the precious and holy and worthy name of Jesus that we have come before you this morning. And it is because of all that he is that we have faith and believe that you have already answered this prayer. We thank you in that precious name of Jesus. Let all of God's children say, Amen. God bless you. The Bible tells us that God's end time church will be characterized by certain things. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. True faith in the last days would suffer weariness, hunger, pain, and delay. It will trust the Lord, even when it doesn't know where the Lord is leading. It will trust him, even though it wouldn't know how the Lord will work things out. True faith will trust the Lord, even though it knows not how long it will take for God to do what he has promised. This faith, it is going to be very real. 
Because God is going to point to a people before the whole universe saying, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Not faith in Jesus, faith of Jesus. They will trust the Lord even as Jesus trusted his father. It is absolute, it is total, and it will go all the way. This is what GYC is all about. And this morning, it has been our privilege to be charged to this faith. Others are making that step in many countries. They are dying, they are being rejected, they are losing the education because of Sabbath exams, but they are faithful. May we be faithful too. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www gycweb.org You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com